0: Hi, Welcome to Living Catholic. I'm David Anders from the Department of Education in the Diocese of Birmingham. With me today is Sister Madeline Marie Van Dillen from the Sister Servants of the Eternal Word. We're on location <laughs> at Casa Maria a Convent and Retreat House in Irondale. Sister Madeline, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you so much.
0: <laughs> so, as you know, our own bishop, Bishop Rekha, has called for a year of the parish and the Eucharist, and it seems like a timely thing to do, given that the last year, people have been away from their parish, and perhaps away from the Eucharist more than at any other time in recent memory. So we're really trying to explore different ways to come back and connect with the life of the parish, (coughs) with our Eucharistic Lord, and with the larger Catholic community, so that we're not living, (coughs) you know, just behind a screen in a virtual Catholic life, although here we are broadcasting on a screen, right? But that's the topic. So I thought, you know, you're somebody who has made Catholic community really integral to your discipleship as a follower of Christ. And uh, not only in your religious life, but also in your in your apostolate, in your ministry to the external world, and uh, and in your growing up, your own vocation story. Mm -hmm. is very rooted in the Catholic community. So I thought that's what we could talk about. If you don't mind, could we start? Maybe just give us a thumbnail sketch of your own vocation to
1: religious life. Sure. Um, So I, I was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, and, um, everybody always says that when I'm around here, they're like, where are you from? St. Louis.
0: Because <laughs> no, the, the Rome of the oh, West, they call clearly, it. Clearly. Right?
1: Yes. The Rome of the West. And it's totally a Catholic environment. Like it's totally different from Birmingham. Yep. And so my family was Catholic. My grandparents had been Catholic and, um, it was just a really amazing thing. But even then, like I was just reflecting on my own story and so when I was younger, we were at St. Jokeman Parish in St. Charles, Missouri. And it was funny because I was like, well, you know, we were really super active in the parish. My parents were pretty much in charge of the ladies and men's club. I went to the Catholic school. My sister and I played all of our sports for the parish teams. And so we were super, like our whole life revolved around our parish, really except the faith. <laughs> like, like, That's and it's, it's a unique thing because like that is, though, the roots of, of my vocation, too, especially at the Catholic school. And so um, I really, like, we still had a few sisters at our school at that point. It was the early 80s into the 90s, or the late 80s into the early 90s. But um, those sisters were just a beautiful example of, Christ especially our principal um, sister Jeanette and so we had gotten like my first thoughts of like you know the the religious life is is a beautiful life where when I was in the first grade and it wasn't like I'm gonna be a sister like some people are like I knew when I was in first grade but it was that first attraction and um Because Sister Jeanette, like, sometimes my dad would drop me off at school early because he had to go to work, and so she'd see me out there waiting, and so she'd take me into Mass with her, like, really early. And those were, to me, the most beautiful Masses, because there was nobody there, there was no music. It was just something kind of mysterious, and I had no clue what was going on, but I just really enjoyed being there, because it was just such a beautiful experience. And then also... um, we were, I guess the sisters had given us a picture of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And we had this sister come in and she was telling about her own vocation story in like first grader language. Mm-hmm. And so she said that being a sister was like being like Mary. And so here was Mary, you know, who was beautiful. And then I was like, you know, I, I would like that, you know, I'd like to be like Mary. And then the other thing she said, which I think is really funny, is that she said, we get to wear whatever we want. (laughs) And so I didn't know she was talking about not wearing a habit, because I didn't know sisters wore habits. I was just thinking, you know, I had gone to public school for kindergarten, and like, I loved picking out my own outfits. And so being in Catholic school, it was like, I hate this uniform. And so I was like, "This is the best of both worlds. Like, you can be like Mary, and you can wear whatever and you want. You can want. wear whatever you want." <laughs> and so, like, those are very, you know, that's that's how a sixth grade or a six year old's mind works sometimes. But it was, I I've never forgotten that as kind of the first attraction.
0: No, that's I think you're probably <laughs> the first person I've ever met who said her her <laughs> attraction to religious life was the the hope of like a variety in one's wardrobe, <laughs> yeah. right? That it had that work out for you.
1: It, it, well, obviously, I don't have much variety. Right. So, kind of ironic, but it was, it spoke to my heart then. That's
0: beautiful. So, <laughs> so what what was it about the the life and character of the sisters themselves that attracted you? Because you said you saw something yeah. in their in their life itself, and you, it was
1: it was it was just that they they were just so like I mean, I was taught so my my principal in grade school from 1st to 6th grade was a sister and then my 5th grade teacher who we always used to tease like we'd say oh she's sister cruella but really cuz she's sister luella but she was actually a really like a really strong catholic woman and my 6th grade teacher was an elderly nun my 6th grade math teacher was sister rosetta and she was just the most caring soul like, I think I've ever been taught by. And then in high school even, we had um, Spark Hill Dominicans. So our librarian was, was she's still alive, Sister Jean Margaret, she was really a great friend to me. And so I'm, I'm the convent librarian now, and I really think everything I learned, I learned from Sister Jean Margaret. <laughs> But, and our principal's sister Carolyn, and she was just like, she was somebody I could go to if I said, you know, this isn't quite right in our religion class. What do you think, sister Carolyn? Or, you know, could we maybe do something like this? And, and she always was there. And so it was just something kind of, they were relatable. They were all older, but it was like they were they were real witnesses of religious life too. Now, you said
0: earlier that <laughs> it, your your whole social life surrounded yep. the parish, the school, you were inundated with Catholic things and yet at some level it hadn't really <laughs> penetrated to exactly. your interior life. Right. So what 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 made the change? When did when did you wake up to <laughs> the transcendent that was all around you?
1: So when I was in 7th grade, we changed parishes to St. Joe Cottleville and at St. Joe when, so my parents had been super active at the other parish, and so they kind of were like, "Well, let's get involved. Maybe not to the extent we were involved, but um, so there was this ad in the bulletin to sell gift certificates, and so my mom's like, "I could do that, you know. You go once every other week, I think it was, and so it was the place where they sold the gift certificates was in our parish library." And so our parish library... You have a thing with libraries, don't you? Yeah, I love libraries. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, so our parish library was run by this amazing couple named Steve and Angie Bennett. And the more we... Because I would hang out there too because I love libraries. And so um, Steve and Angie really... Like they just started talking to my mom. And, And I think it wasn't even... They didn't push anything either but my mom just by being around them and then they'd say you know maybe you should read this book or whatever and so like Steve and Angie ended up they were like running our devotional life of our parish so they were in charge of first Friday adoration they were in charge of um, like perpetual help devotions they led the rosary after mass and so they were really like the rock of our parish, which it was, and it was a quiet way too of leading. And so my mom, by, by getting to know them and by me also, like, cause we'd spend time with them. And I mean, they were just a real witness of, of what a real Catholic life lived out is. So my mom started going... That first Lent, she said, You know what? I'm gonna go to daily mass every single day during Lent. And so she did, and then that turned into, you know, let's pray the rosary, let's do, let's do the divine mercy, Novena, let's do this. And then we had this one really good priest come, and so he started promoting enthronement um, of the sacred heart. So all of these families that were kind of like minded we'd go once a week, I think, to each family's house and the priest would bless the house. We'd say a rosary all together and then he'd do the enthronement and then we would, um, you know, have like a little fellowship time with each other. And so that really instilled in me that love of the rosary, especially. And so as, as my mom and I, like, I would say, especially the two of us together, like, we started doing things, and, and it wasn't like I was always willing, like, because I was a teenager also, and so she would sometimes say, let's go to a Life in the Spirit seminar. It's like, I don't want to go to a Life in the Spirit seminar. She's like, I'll buy you a Slurpee, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'll go, and so, which she'll probably hear this and say, yep, it's the Slurpees, but um, it was really those types of things really impacted me, and So at one point, because our parish didn't really do anything youth ministry-wise, and so my mom really wanted me to get into, like, a good youth group. And so she said, you know, I I guess she thought I want to get her into Life Teen. And so my thought was, I don't want to go to Life Teen. And so she had this plan one Sunday. It was, like, the first Sunday of lunch. She said, let's redecorate your room today. You know, you can go and... We'll go get all the stuff, and then we can go to Mass in the evening. So I was like, okay, I'll go. And so the priest at the time was Father Mark Bazada, and he was giving this, he said it was the first homily in a series that he was going to do all that. And I'm like, you no, know, I like that first one. I'll go next week. And then we'll go the next week. So, and then... so was this a,
0: this was a ruse like to, yeah, bump, it was... to bump from morning mass to evening mass because she knew what was going to happen exactly. that exactly. Okay, so we've got Slurpees. <laughs> we've, got, we've got... My mother
1: was a genius. She was tricky.
0: She yeah. was tricky. Well, you know, you said something fascinating <laughs> to me. Like, we started out, here you are just inundated with Catholic stuff. Yeah. You're surrounded by Catholic everywhere. But what really began to change the life of your family was a friendship
1: it was yes
0: and uh and you know a lot of times we think about evangelism in terms of well what's the program we can put on in our Mm -hmm. parish can we buy this curriculum can we teach this class can we bring in this speaker you had all that yeah and yet it was a friendship that really began to awaken your family to a deeper relationship right with christ and then mom being sneaky
1: Mom, Mom being sneaky. Mom was definitely sneaky.
0: Okay, so you got involved in life <laughs> team.
1: I did. and then so, and i I still wasn't going to the catechetical life nights afterwards. It wasn't until um, so my last day of my sophomore year of high school, my dad was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer. Mm. And so it was kind of one of those things like where you just, you know, like when you're a kid, you don't think your parents are gonna ever get sick, (laughs) and he was only 40, and so it was kind of, and his dad had died of colon cancer when he was a teenager, and so it was just thinking, you know, this is so awful, like, my dad's gonna die, like, great, but I kind of, at the same time, had this peace, like, God was kind of, like, not audibly speaking, but it was just this kind of awareness of, you know, God, God's gonna be there for me, and so, So I got a friend, and I said, you know, I'm too afraid to go to Life Teen by myself. You know, will you come with me, and we can do this all summer. And so my mom would pick up the other kid, Matthew, and she took us there, and she'd sit there and eat Mexican food while we were there because we weren't old enough to drive. But, um, like, that totally changed my life because when I was connected into that Life Teen program, like, my youth minister really like like now they say you discipled but like he definitely he cared and so I had him kind of always always encouraging me to grow always um, just it was it was this presence in my life and also I had some of the the core members who were like young adult women and they just you know they'd come to my soccer games or my dance recitals or you know, my band concerts, and it was just kind of like, wow, and so it, it turned into this point where, like, my junior year, I was pretty much, like, living at church, <laughs> like, because we had, we had Wednesday night prayer group, like, we had praise and worship, and kind of nurse nursery prayer on Wednesdays, we did this group in the summer, where we called it Holy Rollers, and we'd go to a park every afternoon, and we would rollerblade and pray the rosary, and, It was just kind of, it was great. And some of those friendships I still have to this day, like they're amazing friends. And it's been, you know, 25 or 20 years, I guess, since then. But um, it's an amazing, like that was what really started me, like getting serious about my faith.
0: And so- Now, you know, you you, you said it (laughs) so quickly, it'd be easy to pass over but you said something that just really astonished me it mm-hmm. really amazed me you were faced with an unbelievable tragedy yeah an unimaginable tragedy and yet you said at that age you had a profound sense that god would accompany you right through the greatest tragedy of your life at that point point. Mm-hmm. and then immediately it, if i if i understand you God did that by putting people in your life who could be the face of God's mercy to you when you needed it most.
1: That's exactly right. Like, That's,
0: that is really astonishing.
1: Yeah, and it was almost immediate, like, within that time. and And I don't even think, like, that they knew, like, you know, my dad was sick at that point. But it was just... It was God gave that. Like it was totally from the hand of God.
0: So looking back, I mean, do you feel like there's a there's a narrative of your life, yeah. a story, and God is writing that story mm-hmm. to bring you where you are? Absolutely. Let's, let's move on to university life because I know you mm-hmm. were deeply involved in a, in a community of Catholics at the university that also contributed to your formation, right?
1: Right. So I ended up, um, because of Steve and Angie, that couple at um, – at St. Joe Cottleville I ended up hearing about Franciscan University of Steubenville. And so I was like, you know, this is where I want to go. At first my mom's like, you should go there. I'm like, I don't want to go there. I ended up loving it. I went there and it was it was the most amazing experience because everything was Catholic. Like mm-hmm. in the right way. Like because you know, you go to history class, it's it's Catholic. You have biology it's Catholic you know you have journalism you're reading the documents of the Vatican about social communications and so it was an amazing um, like the whole experience was immersed in the faith and so I joined a household, the Roses of the Immaculate Heart and it's I always say it's kind of like a mix between a charismatic prayer group and a sorority mm-hmm. but like those those other young women like we had, We had time of prayer together. We had times of fun together. And we had like accountability small groups within our our bigger household. And through that, so I ended up, I graduated with a degree in theology and French. And then I went to grad school at Illinois State. So my, actually my senior year of college um, for my senior seminar with Dr. Regis Martin, we read um, Gisani, Monsignor Jasani's um, The Risk of Education mm, uh-huh. and then we read Monsignor Albacetti's book God at the Ritz and I read these books and I was like this is amazing like you know the, it. I had gotten involved when I was in high school with the Missionaries of Charity teaching like Sunday school and I did their summer camp and so I really started having this experience of you know I want to give back to the faith, like give back to other people what I've received from mm. also. So like, and so I just say, you know, catechesis is really where my heart is at this point. Like, and especially reading Jasani was like, you know, if I taught, like, I wouldn't want to just teach to, you know, impart information. Like it would be like towards discipleship, towards them acting in freedom and responding to God. And so, I didn't realize, like at that point, Communal Liberation was something in America because oh. Monsignor Gisani oh. started Communal Liberation, and so I went to grad school for French literature at Illinois State, and um, it was one of those things like I was not prepared for how secular it was, or narrowly focused, or anything because I had never experienced, like, kind of what academics without god is (laughs) and so so i had one professor who she was the smiley little petite woman and it's like what's your expertise she said wife abuse in 18th century literature Yep, i'm like really (laughs) and then and there was another one and he's like i love surrealism it's all just made up and wonderful (laughs) and i'm like okay this is this is where we are and and none of them were religious at all. Like one of them was a fallen away Catholic, but most of them were just atheist or they said they were agnostic.
0: And how did that feel to you? How did you experience <laughs> the curriculum, you know, having come from this rich Catholic worldview and education that I will? was
1: I was just like, oh my goodness, like how am I gonna survive?
0: <laughs> did it feel dry to you? Did it feel it hollow? felt
1: totally empty. Like my first my first thought was I don't want to become like this if this is what like academia is maybe I don't want to be a professor or and and it was interesting because I started defining like I would talk to my French professor from Franciscan and he's like you know find somebody that's an ally to you and so I um I was a TA to the classics professor who was Jewish and I kind of started talking to her because she did believe in God and so she was she was a great source of support too. And she's like, just find us Jews. Like that's so, so my best professors in grad school, I started taking outside of the department. Like, and and sometimes there were things that it was like, How did I end up here? Because I ended up in a class that was supposed to be about poetic forms and conventions, and it was all like lesbian feminist poetry. And I'm like, uh, this is not what I signed up for. Like, this is... And so I, I pulled the, the professor, who was Jewish, out. And I'm like, I don't think I can can even wrap my mind around this poetry. She's like, just show up here, try your best to listen, and I'll give you an A. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Because it was past the drop point when it started yeah, shifting yeah, into that. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And then, um, so I just was like, okay.
0: So did you ever take the degree?
1: I did. I did finish it. And and it was it was actually very challenging to get that degree now, because
0: at, at what point then did you begin to consider catholic religious life
1: well so i ended up my first year there i started kind of my parallel experience in grad school is that i picked it because one of my friends was the youth minister at the parish in town and so i also was like kind of full time helping with the youth group and so i was I was while you're in grad school. While I was in grad school, like he was the youth minister, I was also, I was like, I guess you could say I was discipling a group of of girls who were freshmen at the time. And what's really beautiful to see is like now they're in their 30s, this group, and they're all very faithful Catholics. So I feel like that was a worthwhile investment of my time. Absolutely. But also, so as I'm I'm sitting here and I've got, you know, this group of girls, I'm doing the youth the different youth group things. I'm like, this is meaningful. This other thing is not. Like, one of these I thought was going to bring me happiness and is not. This is definitely here. And then also I was reading. Like, so I had a theology degree. But I think at that point I had never really been forced to own my faith. Like, it was always a part of my life. But never, I guess, you know, even as I was very close to the Lord, like, I guess I was never um, like it, it. wasn't to that point where it had been tested ever, and so this was that first point. And so I started reading things because my professors would say like, "Well, this is what Catholics." Are. I'm like, "No, that's not." And so then it turned it turned into like really deep questions about, "Well, what is grace?" And and so I started having to read things, and so like I would I would answer them because I'm like this. I'm like this is bringing me joy, like, to read about my faith, to, like, really study God. And so the more the more I kind of got into this, the more it was kind of a, you know what? This is, like, this is what— This is where I
0: want to spend my life.
1: Yeah, this is what I want to do. Like, you know, I want to spend my life teaching the faith. And so also in my first year of grad school, I was kind of talking to one of my household sisters, Jenny, and Ginny said, have you ever looked into community and liberation? And I said, yeah, but they're just in Italy, right? And she's like, no, they're everywhere. Like, they're in America. So I looked up, I pulled up the web page, and sure enough, there was a group in normal Illinois. And so I was like, hey. So I emailed the girl that was in charge, Eva. And Eva's like, well, it's kind of just two of us doing the School of Community, but sure. And so. Eva became a really good friend of mine. She was doing her doctorate in English. And she kind of, she had a lot of those same struggles, like not maybe on the same level that I did in my program, but like with her comps at one point, she had a professor because she, she, they worded her question in such a way that it, she's like, I couldn't not answer it with God. She's like, they told me don't answer God anyway, but she's like, I couldn't do it. And so they failed her first attempt at her comps. And so it was, a, it was like the greatest source of support for me to have that movement. And also at the same time to be able, we were reading um, Why the Church at the time for School of Community. And it was just like, it was that reminder of, you know, all of this stuff that I'm like fighting against in school. Like, it's really not important. <laughs> like, yeah. like, what's important is God. Now,
0: and, a lot of people listening to the podcast may not know who Jasani <laughs> is or mm-hmm. Communion and Liberation or School of Community. Right. Can you give us a brief uh, description of what? what is the idea behind School of Community?
1: So, um, School of Community. So, Communion and Liberation was founded in the 50s by Monsignor Luigi Jasani. And it was... He was teaching at a high school, and he was he was really faced with a lot of the same problems that I was being faced with. He was actually still alive when I was in grad school, so it was kind of neat because he still had these you know talks and things being produced by him. But he um, he was in this high school, and like communism was the big thing then. You know, a lot of these kids, like the teachers, were promoting atheism, communism. And and the kids especially were kind of just eating it up, like without thinking about it. And so so Gesani was like, you know what? Like we need to have something where these kids like actually own their faith, like that they really become disciples of Christ. You know, true members of the church. And so because all of Italy
0: was like your experience, right. they were yeah. surrounded by the faith, Cultural but Catholic. they hadn't connected to it.
1: Exactly. You know. And so it's that cultural Catholicism where they still would say they're Catholic, even though they have no idea, like, anything about the faith, devotionals or anything. And um, so he started this group of high school kids, and then the high school kids, they would meet together, and they would discuss things, and then it it would go for that acceptance, like, you know, Jesus really, truly is God. And, you know, faced with this how can I not accept it? Like, that's what's reasonable. And so... So
0: School of Community was Jasani's attempt to create mm-hmm. sort of the experience that you had going through high school and exactly. into college. A, a, a group that accompanied you in, in mm-hmm. putting the faith in action in your life. That's exactly. the essence of School of Community. It is.
1: And so, like, they would say, like, School of Community is always supposed to be transformative. So what I hear, what I share transforms like I make a judgment about what I read, but also it it's not just that I'm reading it. It's that it transforms me. and that my life with you transforms me. And it's it's that experience of of the Christian life and of the church, really. Like, what it should be doing to us. So, like,
0: now, it, was this the stage of your life when you said, I'm going to investigate religious life, and it, that brought you eventually to Irondale?
1: Yeah, it was, and it was interesting, too, because I was thinking, you know, I still had this plan, like, I'm going to go get my doctorate, maybe in a different discipline than French literature, thinking maybe comparative literature at that point, because I'm like, at least then I could bring in other things. But... Um, or I was looking at University of Dallas because it was Catholic, mm-hmm. <laughs> and things like that. But um, I was like, you know, I still have this idea that you know this is what I want to do. And then there was this one Sunday that um, I just—it was weird because my parents had gone on a cruise. Like, it's how God arranges everything. So like, my my par- my mom's boss had offered to buy them a cruise. And she thought she was buying it for, like, a year later, but for whatever reason, it was cheap because it was for, like, two weeks from them. Mm-hmm. And so so I was picking them up from the airport. My dad wasn't feeling so good when he got home, and um, this was, like, summer of 2004. And so I thought, well, you know, I'd always kind of had that attraction to religious life, but... Somehow that morning, it was like, go to St. Anselm for Mass, like 6.30 Mass, like, and that was like, it was in my brain, and I'd been to St. Anselm one time, or two times for Mass. One was a memorial Mass for Jasani, or maybe it was, it was 2000, it was before Jasani died, so that was even the third time I went. So the first time, and the only time I'd ever been there was for my first cousin once removed wedding, when I was in the fifth grade. So, but for whatever reason, I just had this desire to go to mass at St. Anselm that night. And so my mom, she hadn't been to mass. So she's like, we're, we gotta go to mass. So we gotta go to Incarnate Word. And I said, no, I want to go to St. Anselm tonight. And she's like, why? I'm like, I don't know. Just want to go to St. Anselm. It's at 630. So we went shopping. It's kind of the reverse of the original, like getting me into life teen. But, um, so we sit there in the parking lot. And she's like, we could still go to Incarnate Word. It's, it's 6. We'll be there in a few minutes. We'll just be a few minutes late. And I'm like, no, let's go there. And so we went. And Father Augustin Weta, who gives confirmation retreats now at Casa Maria, he was processing in. And it was funny because I didn't know he had been ordained at that point. And he was also writing his homily as he was processing it. And so, like, or at least he was writing notes. Like, he had a piece of paper and a pencil, and he's writing. And so he's like, um, I, was, I was sent here, you know, something changed at the last minute. So this is, I'm um, preaching this mass. And so he got up there, and um, he was preaching this homily that he had been writing as he was walking in. And he said, you know, this morning... He said, my friend, my good friend left from a visit, and you know he's this soap opera star, and he had everything, and here I am, Like he leaves, and I'm to go say mass at the nursing home, and everybody's falling asleep, and like, my life is so unglorious and everything. But he's like, basically, because the readings that day were the vanity of vanity readings, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. I had never thought about. So he's like, so what's this mean, vanity of vanities? And so he was talking about how he had been going to grad school for classics and then he became a monk because, you know, his his reflection on his whole life after the experience of his friend visiting. And so he said, well, so at the end, he's like, it's a beautiful life. So he said, so my prayer is that for anybody here that's not married or because I was thinking of religious life and I didn't know how to tell my mom. And so... She's like, if anybody is not married, you're gonna be monks and nuns. And so, like, there was nobody else in the whole church that was like it, this young. applied
0: only to you. It
1: really only applied to me. So we get in the car and my mom goes, So Father Augustine says you're gonna be a nun, <laughs> which was it was the first time that I had ever like really talked about it to my mom at that point. So it was nice that I had had a, a way of breaking the ice. And it's funny because Like so later on it became really clear, you know, I I I bought a ticket to the sister servants like within two months because my friend my friend's sister she's a sister now, so my household sister Alyssa ended up um she got a job as a DRE in Tennessee. And so her priest that she worked for had been taught by Mother Mary Gabriel mm. when he was in grade it was school. The
0: founders of Yeah, community our, right our
1: community. And so he said, "You, the only place I'll let you bring the kids for confirmation retreat is to Casa Maria. And so he goes, okay. So she came down and she's like, you know, you'd really like this order, I think. And I'm like...
0: Was it the, the catechetical nature of the order that appealed to you?
1: At that point, yeah, I liked, I liked that. But it was just... Like, the best way to describe it, like Mother Teresa said, like, when somebody is discerning religious life, you just kind of know. And so I had been attracted to this order in St. Louis called the Sisters of St. Francis of the Martyr St. George. And they had had worked at my youth group, too. So it was nice because we always had young sisters, too, which was another witness of that. And so I thought, you know, if I joined, I'd join them. You know, they're near St. Louis. It's perfect. And I really love Franciscan spirituality. And so she said, you should go check them out. I'm like, no way. And she actually gave my, my phone number, my cell phone number to Mother Louise Marie, who was the vocation director at the time. And so I was driving one day, and I get this phone call. And it's Mother Louise Marie just saying, oh, hi, Jenny. How are you doing? And I'm like, who is this person like calling me? And because she had told her all about me basically, while she was down here. And so she's like, oh, you live in Normal. That's a riot, (laughs) like all this stuff. And I'm just thinking, this is so crazy. And then so I got this email about a month later after that that said, like, United was having a fair sale. And the first place that came to my mind was Birmingham. Like, what's in Birmingham? What's in Birmingham? And then I'm like, I guess those sisters are in Birmingham. Maybe I'll go and just rule it out. And so I kept trying to call the sisters, like, you know, can I come visit? I've got this time in, in October, I could come. And I kept getting the voicemail, so I kept leaving these messages, nobody's getting back to me. So finally I just said, I'm gonna buy the ticket. I'm just gonna go down there, we'll figure it out. So I bought the ticket and I left a message saying, you know, I just bought the ticket, so I'm coming this weekend, that weekend in October. And they're like, can you come a different time? I'm like, nope, I got this ticket, sorry. <laughs> But it was it was funny because I just kept getting delayed and delayed, and it was like four am. And she came to pick me up at the airport. and it was it was like I just knew like that this is without even meeting anybody else that this is where I was supposed to be. and and it wasn't like it was immediate because that was like October of two thousand four. And then um, it was probably. I had student loans from college, so I applied in March of 2005 to enter, and then I joined in 2006.
0: So you've been here since 2006. You know, what amazes me (laughs) about your story, what interests me, is what I know about your life here at Casa Maria and and what you've told me, it sounds like your whole life was a formation to keep doing what you've always been doing well and better, right? Yes. we, a lot of times we think about the uh, meaning of our life. Oh, and when I get to the future, my mm-hmm. life will start. You know, yeah. when I cross some threshold, my life will begin. Your life began when it began, and you've been living in this growing relationship with Christ and his church. And it, it, it's, it, you didn't have to wait to enter religious life. No. Religious life was the fulfillment and continuation exactly. of what God had been doing. That's a really along.
1: beautiful way to put it.
0: Now, I know we've only got about, about a minute <laughs> left or so. Yeah, I wanted to get a little bit to your work in Birmingham with Mm -hmm. families and catechesis uh, because now you want to give back all this that you've been given. Mm -hmm. You're trying to give it to our community.
1: Right. So I've been um, in our diocese. I've worked kind of at at different capacities. Like I've helped with um, the awakenings retreats here, giving talks to the college kids. And then also I've done some work like forming parents through family catechesis at Annunciation in Decatur. Um, But kind of recently, what I've been really doing is this catechetical program called Come Follow Me, Mm -hmm. which it's it's a French program that's that was developed by the followers of Blessed Marie Eugene of the child. But it's in English, right? It's in English. Yeah. And so um, it's translated by a French sister who lives in an English Dominican community called the Dominican Sisters of St. Joseph. And it's. It's really teaching children how to respond. So it's that same idea of of even what I love about start
0: by buying them a Slurpee.
1: Yeah. Well, no, but before that, yeah, Slurpees work for me. I don't know if they work down they don't have seven eleven down here. So but um <laughs> so we have um I guess it's it's teaching them like it's almost like Lexio Divina for little kids. Because Bless Marie Eugene had said, you know children who have been baptized but who haven't reached the age of reason that they have this capacity for a relationship with God they don't have any sin to block them and I read that in in a talk he had given I'm like this is true like this is what we believe about baptism and grace and everything and so I looked into the program and I was like this is an amazing thing and so we We've done it in kind of, I've done it in two different settings. So we did one with homeschoolers at the convent, and then I did it with the second graders at St. Barnabas.
0: St. Barnabas Parish here in Birmingham. Yeah,
1: and, and it was an so interesting... So really, you're
0: trying to solve the problem you had as a child. Yeah. Is, I don't want somebody to just live in a Catholic community. I want them to know Christ. Exactly. Let me teach them how to find Christ as they read the scriptures.
1: Right, and 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 make that choice to follow him too. Like, not just because this is... The culture or anything, and especially at St. Barnabas where nobody was Catholic really. I had, right. Out of ten kids it was two Catholics. And one of my kids actually ended up bec- well ended up getting baptized at the Baptist church, so I made a Baptist out of him. Good. But, <laughs> but he showed up. It was funny because it's also how grace works. So he just randomly walked into family catechesis at St. Barnabas that another one of our sisters does, Sister Rita Marie. And he was listening to her talk and so the next week at class he was so excited that he had heard sister Rita Marie also but he comes in and we were talking about Jesus and and the woman Mary who breaks the alabaster jar Mm -hmm. on his feet because she's been forgiven and so Otis raised his hand and he's so he had experienced baptism and having his sins forgiven and he was so excited about that two weeks before And so he comes in, and he hears this story, and he said, he's like, sister, everybody. He's like, did you know that Catholics can be forgiven of their sins whenever they want? They just go to confession. Like, this is amazing. Like, he's like, they can just go, and they can say they're sorry, and they can be forgiven. Like, this is amazing. And so um, they had... The lesson had said, you know, you could have a priest there if the children are receiving confession. And so since my children were not receiving confession, I had them make hearts with their names on it. And they said, you know, this isn't really your heart, but it represents your heart. So, and I had a picture of the sacred heart up. It said, so I want you to think about what you would say to Jesus to ask him to heal your hearts. You know, go to God and, and say, you know, I'm so sorry. You know, heal me, forgive my sins. And and really kneel before Jesus and, and just tell him, you know, what you really, what's in your heart. And so Otis wrote on his heart, which I still have it because he gave it to Jesus, but I took it. But it said, dear Jesus, heal my heart. I want to be Catholic because I want my sins to be forgiven. And so I was like.
0: That's amazing. You know. Like,
1: that's an amazing. G.K.
0: Chesterton, the <laughs> great British author, they asked him when he became Catholic, why did you become Catholic? And he said. Well, to get rid of my sins <laughs> yeah gk is and otis have that in common that's wonderful well what would you we're going to wrap up so as we wrap up what's the takeaway for people who are listening to the podcast uh is there any way they can get involved uh in what would you suggest for people who want to sort of either learn from your spirituality and put that in practice in their own parish or life, or maybe something that Casa Maria is involved in that they could invite people to?
1: Yeah, so we have, um, I would say, really learn your faith. Like, take that time, because it's really important. We're doing um, work with Christ's life, too, and so I know that that's going on diocesan-wide, too, throughout the different parishes. And Christ Life is a really um, beautiful tool, like a group to learn, learn about Jesus and to kind of develop the faith, and also to develop like that idea of discipleship. And then it it also forms you to go out and share that Okay, too. so you'd encourage people. So I'd say Christ Life Christ is Christ a Life. Christ Life is a really good tool for that. But just to really, you know, be present to like to. Avail yourselves of the sacraments, like receive them and read, you know, the librarian and me read always. But, um, also, you know, look for those opportunities to share your faith. Like it might be with people that you work with or people that you just run across because like, especially for me as a sister, it's really easy because people see me and they say, oh, you know, this is what I'm thinking right now, or whatever. And, you know, I'm dealing with this, how can you help me with this? And so, um, you know, like that personal friendship goes a long way, because that's been my whole life experience. I know, it's beautiful. for my mother, like, that was really what, what got her into the faith. It's really what developed my faith. And,
0: and if, if people want to learn more about the ministry at Casa Maria and the Sister Servants, mm-hmm. where would they go to find we out? We have
1: sisterservants.org as our website, okay. and we have all of our retreats right now pretty much are live-streamed also. So,
0: Fantastic. And they're
1: free. Wonderful. <laughs> so
0: so people can get more of Sister exactly. Madeline Marie and all the sisters <laughs> if they log on to sisterservants.org. And a bunch of other good priests, too. Fantastic. All yeah. right. Well, Sister, this has been fantastic. Yeah. And uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Um, okay, thanks for listening to Living Catholic. Uh, my producer has handed me the text. If you're <laughs> looking for ways to get engaged in Christ's life, check out our contact... Um, uh-oh. Oh, oh, well, Alex Kubik, right? And uh, this, the Office of Discipleship and Mission at the Diocese. All right, in our next episode, I'm going to speak to Father Jonathan Howell to discuss how the parish is a family of families. If you enjoy our show, subscribe to us on YouTube or using your favorite podcast app. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating or review. Finally, please recommend us to friends and family. We'd love to continue speaking with you in this special year focused on encountering Christ in our parish and in the Eucharist. Thank you.
1: Thank you.